0: A word of caution. This episode may contain references to themes that may not be suitable for a younger audience. Parental discretion is advised for anyone under the age of 13. A 48-year-old telecommunications executive is found lying in a pool of blood at the bottom of a wooden staircase in her $1.9 million home. The only other person there is her husband, 58-year-old Michael Peterson. At first, It looks like nothing more than a tragic accident, but after a few weeks, Michael is arrested for his wife's murder. What follows is a mystery involving many twists and turns, unveiled family secrets, a documentary, and now an adapted series airing on HBO Max. Why has this case captivated the country for the past 20 years? There's much to love about North and South Carolina, But the two states have also had their fair share of violent and senseless crimes over the years. From murders on the Blue Ridge Parkway, in the heart of big cities or sleepy college towns, and along the coastal waters, some of these stories may be new to you. Some may have happened in your town, but all will leave you remembering to always be vigilant about the people you meet and the places you go. Every other week we'll take a brief look at some of these crimes, solved or unsolved, and learn more about the darker part of our region. I'm Renee Robertson, and this is True Crime in the Carolinas. Episode 43, The Story Behind the Staircase. If you live in North or South Carolina, the name Michael Peterson will probably be familiar to you. It's one I've heard off and on over the years, not really knowing much more information than articles I read in the local media. When I saw there was a documentary about the case on Netflix, I jotted the name down in the notebook I keep for article and blog post ideas, but never circled back. Then when I saw a preview that HBO Max had filmed an adaptation starring Colin Firth and Toni Collette, I decided to finally do a deep dive into the case. And I knew people from beyond North Carolina would be interested too. For this episode, I'd like to do an overview of Kathleen's death, the subsequent arrest of Michael Peterson, and the result of the trial. There's also this unusual theory about an owl. Next week, I'll discuss my thoughts on both the Netflix documentary, The Staircase, and the HBO Max limited series, also of the same name. So be sure to check back. Let's start with an overview of the Peterson family. Michael Peterson was born in Nashville, Tennessee in 1943 He graduated from Duke University in Durham, North Carolina with a bachelor's degree in political science. After graduation, he took a civilian job at the Department of Defense, where he researched arguments supporting increased military involvement in Vietnam. He married a woman named Patricia, an elementary school teacher from a U.S. Air Force base in Grafenhausen, West Germany. He then enlisted in the Marine Corps and served in the Vietnam War receiving an honorable discharge with the rank of captain after a car accident left him with a disability in one leg. He and Patricia had two sons, Clayton and Todd. They divorced in 1987. Kathleen Hunt was born in Greensboro, North Carolina in 1953. She attended high school in Pennsylvania and in 1971 became the first female accepted into the School of Engineering at Duke University. She went on to earn a BS in civil engineering and a master's in mechanical engineering from Duke. She married a man named Fred Atwater and had a daughter named Caitlin. Her obituary noted that Kathleen had a successful career achieving executive level positions at Baltimore Air Coil Pritchard, Merck and Nortel. She received many awards for her leadership skills and successes from Nortel networks. She also traveled to Russia, Ukraine Vietnam, Malaysia, Europe, Hong Kong, and Canada, as part of her job. According to an article that ran in People magazine, in 1986, Kathleen met Michael after he had returned from Germany. They lived together for about 10 years while both of their divorces were finalized. In 1997, the two married, blending their two families, which also included two sisters named Margaret and Martha Ratliff, whom Michael had adopted after both of their parents passed away in Germany. They moved into their multi-million dollar home in Durham. Drawing from his time in Vietnam, Michael wrote three different novels that took place during the time period. He co-wrote two other non-fiction books. Michael also wrote a weekly newspaper column for the Durham Sun, often criticizing the city police department, and the Durham County District Attorney named James Harden. He also unsuccessfully ran for both the city council and the mayor of Durham. Kathleen continued to work at Nortel Networks, also getting involved in the local art scene, hosting galas and fundraisers for the North Carolina Ballet and the American Dance Festival. According to friends, she enjoyed staying busy, although her high-stress job at Nortel often weighed on her, along with helping support their five children, who were all young adults at the time. On the night of December 8, 2001, Michael and Kathleen were celebrating. He had learned that a Hollywood studio was interested in optioning a novel he had written featuring World War II. They drank champagne, watched a movie, and then headed outside to enjoy wine by their pool. Around 2 a.m., Kathleen made the first move to go inside since she had to work the next morning. A little after 2.30 in the morning, Michael placed a call to 911, telling the operator that he had just come inside the house to find Kathleen at the bottom of the stairs. Based on the recording of the call, he sounded panicked and was breathing heavily. He said she was unconscious, but still breathing. When the operator asked how many stairs she'd fallen down, it took him a few moments to comprehend the question. He finally answered, about 15 or 20. She was lying in a pool of blood, And there was blood spatter on the walls above the stairs. By the time first responders had arrived on the scene, Kathleen was no longer breathing. Michael concluded she must have slipped and fallen on the stairs after drinking too much alcohol combined with Valium. Kathleen's toxicology report showed that she had a blood alcohol level of 0.07 percent. The state medical examiner determined Kathleen had suffered multiple blows to the back of her head and had wounds to her back, arms, hands, and wrists. Kathleen's side of the family, and all of the Petersons' combined children, at first stood behind Michael's version of the accident. But when the district attorney's office conducted a full search of the Peterson home a few weeks later, they found a cache of pornographic images on Michael's computer featuring men, and emails showing he had been engaging in sexual activity with men in the area. They concluded Kathleen must have stumbled upon the images and confronted Michael, and he killed her in a fit of rage. He was arrested a few weeks after her death on December twentieth, two 2001. Michael quickly hired a high-profile defense attorney from Charlotte. David Rudolph had also represented Carolina Panthers football player Ray Carruth after he was arrested in the murder-for-hire plot involving his girlfriend, Sharika Adams, and her unborn child. Once Michael was arrested, Kathleen's daughter from her first marriage, Caitlin, became convinced Michael must have murdered her mother. Kathleen's two sisters felt the same way. They wondered if Kathleen's injuries could have been caused by blows from a fireplace blow poke, which had gone missing from the home at some point. Michael's defense team adamantly said Kathleen had been aware of Michael's bisexuality and was fine with it. Kathleen's family disagreed. Michael's two sons and adopted daughters stood by him. And then the information about how the two daughters' mom, Elizabeth Ratliff, was found at the time of her death, emerged. David Rudolph and his team were stunned. Remember, Elizabeth was a friend of Michael and Patricia Peterson back in Germany. Elizabeth's husband had died in a military operation in 1983. Two years later, Elizabeth was found dead at the bottom of her staircase by her nanny. Her two children were toddlers at the time. Michael had supposedly been the last person to see Elizabeth the evening she died. An autopsy on Elizabeth concluded she died from an intracerebral hemorrhage resulting in her fall down the stairs. This would be brought up by the prosecutor once the trial began. Before we continue, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. I've always enjoyed writing fiction, but I didn't really get serious about it until I was in my 30s. After submitting to the WOW Flash Fiction Contest a few times, I was thrilled when I placed as a runner-up with my piece titled In the Depths. WOW still hosts a quarterly writing contest every three months, and I highly recommend entering it. The entry fees are minimal, and you can also purchase a critique to get feedback on your story once the contest concludes. The mission of this contest is to inspire creativity, great writing, and provide well-rewarded recognition to contestants. And the best part is that the contest is open to all genres, from romance to science fiction to thriller suspense to literary fiction. The Spring 2022 Flash Fiction Contest with literary agent Sharon Pelletier with DG&B Literary Agency closes soon on May 31st, so go ahead and get your entry in. You can learn more at wow-womenonwriting.com and click on the Contest tab. And now, let's get back to the show. Here is an overview of Michael Peterson's trial based on a timeline I found from the News & Observer in Raleigh. Jury selection began on May 5, 2003. The trial began eight weeks later on July 1st. District Attorney Jim Harden, assisted by ADA Frida Black, presented the case that Kathleen died after being violently attacked by a fireplace blowpoke. Defense attorney David Rudolph maintained Kathleen died from an accidental fall. In August, Judge Orlando Hudson ruled that the facts of Elizabeth Ratliff's death in Germany could be introduced into evidence. Her body was exhumed where she was buried in Texas. The medical examiner who ruled Kathleen's death a homicide, Deborah Radish, found that Ratliff also had wounds consistent with the beating. During the trial, the nanny who found Elizabeth Ratliff's body in 1985 also took to the stand at Michael Peterson's murder trial and testified to witnesses about a large amount of blood at the scene. A friend of Elizabeth Ratliff's also testified about a bloody death scene. The nanny also explained that Michael made sure he did all the talking to the German police who arrived on the scene after Elizabeth's death. The prosecution was careful not to accuse Michael Peterson of Elizabeth's death. Rather, they said the incident would have given Michael an idea of how to fake an accidental fall down the stairs. In August, a former male escort named Brent Wolgamont testified that Michael Peterson had arranged to pay him for sex three months before Kathleen's death, but he said the two had never actually met. Then, SBI agent Dwayne Deaver testified that the blood spatters found on the walls of the staircase, along with the blood on Michael Peterson's shorts and sneakers, were evidence that a beating had taken place. In September, forensic expert Henry Lee testified that the blood spatters at the scene were the result of a fall and not a beating. Later that month, David Rudolph announced the fireplace blowpoke that had been missing from the Peterson home had been discovered in a basement garage by Michael's son Clayton. It was covered in dead bugs and spider webs. Michael Peterson's trial is listed as one of North Carolina's longest trials. On October 10, 2003, after four days of deliberation, the jury found Michael Peterson guilty of first degree murder. The judge sentenced him to life in prison at Nash Correctional Institution without the possibility of parole. But this was far from the end of Michael Peterson's story. In October 2004, the Charlotte Observer reported that Kathleen's daughter Caitlin Atwater, along with her ex-husband Fred, received $1.5 million in life insurance. Michael Peterson had been the beneficiary of Kathleen's policy through Prudential but once he was convicted of murder, legal questions were raised about whether or not he could accept the money. He signed away any further claim to the proceeds in May 2004. In August 2008, a Durham attorney named Larry Pollard, who was a friend and neighbor of Michael Peterson, held a news conference where he shared his theory that an owl had attacked Kathleen Peterson before her fall down the stairs. An SBI report listed the presence of a microscopic feather mixed in with hair that Kathleen Peterson had clutched in her left hand at the time of her death. He believed that an owl had swooped down from a tree as Kathleen was walking back into the house on the night she died. It sunk its sharp talons into the back of her head, knocked her down, then sent her running inside. He said she must have passed out once inside, then got up and tried to head up the set of stairs, splattering blood on the walls and the staircase, and bled to death. He talked about how a local TV station had aired a story about two businessmen in nearby Apex who had been attacked by a territorial owl and an assault that had been caught on videotape. One of those victims appeared at the news conference to share his experience The Durham District Attorney, at the time, David Sachs, said he had his doubts that the owl theory would help Michael's case. And he was correct. But on September 14, 2011, Judge Orlando Hudson granted David Rudolph's motion for a new trial, determining that SBI agent Dwayne Deaver misled the judge and jury in his testimony. Dwayne Deaver had stated that he had written more than 200 blood spatter reports for the SBI, and the SBI could only find 54. Experts who looked at the reports believe Deaver's blood spatter experiments were unscientific and designed to produce the answers Deaver wanted. Deaver also came under fire for insisting on the guilt of a man named Greg Taylor, who was convicted of the 1991 murder of a woman named Jaquetta Thomas. The only evidence linking Greg Taylor to Thomas' murder was a spot of blood found on the wheel well of the SUV Taylor had gotten stuck in the mud near a cul-de-sac. After the North Carolina Innocence Inquiry took on Taylor's case, they discovered that the substance found on the SUV's wheel well was not blood at all, but mud. Dwayne Deaver had failed to report the results of lab tests that would have exonerated Taylor. Dwayne Deaver was subsequently fired from the SBI. In February 24, 2017, Michael Peterson took an Alford plea to the reduced charge of manslaughter. He was sentenced to time served and set free. Although he still maintained that he had nothing to do with Kathleen's death, he acknowledged through the Alford plea that prosecutors had enough evidence to convict him of voluntary manslaughter. Michael lived with his first wife, Patricia, for two years, even though they were still divorced, until her death of a heart attack. Last summer, The News and Observer reported that the home Michael once shared with Kathleen was up for sale. The 9,000-plus square-foot house, built in 1940, sits on 3.4 acres and was listed for sale at $1.9 At the time of this article, tax records showed that the current owner was a clairvoyant and medium from New York. Michael is now 78 years old. He has written and self-published two memoirs about his murder trial called Behind the Staircase, and Beyond the Staircase. The listing for the books on Amazon state that all proceeds go to charity. Back in August 2008, Kathleen's daughter Caitlin was awarded a $25 million judgment in the wrongful death case against Michael Peterson. Michael has claimed to not have any money, so any money he would make off book sales or film rights would be taken by this judgment. Defense attorney David Rudolph told an audience at CrimeCon in New Orleans that Michael lives in a ground-floor apartment in Durham with no stairs, and that was a really important accommodation. This brings us to the conclusion of this week's episode of True Crime in the Carolinas. Join me next week as I discuss the HBO Max series The Staircase and the Netflix documentary of the same name. If you enjoyed this episode, Please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're also now on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, so please like our pages and get started on a discussion of the missing people profiled on the show. Would you like to buy me a coffee? I'll take a cold brew with oat milk anytime, thank you very much. But seriously, since this is an independently produced podcast, I'm looking into various crowdfunding platforms. Right now, I'm working on creating a new website that will be much more functional and interactive and include bonus content. I'm really excited about it. I've listed a fundraising goal over at buymeacoffee.com slash Renee Robertson to help me cover the cost of the new site. I'll put a link in the show notes. This isn't a subscription service, although I'm considering creating one through Patreon. For now, you can donate as little or as much as you like. Every little bit helps. Do you know of a missing persons case in North or South Carolina that you think should be covered? Email me at missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com with any details you can share. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Mia Robertson. Thanks so much for listening.